0: Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. Give some solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once a year town hall or company-wide email to share the, what causes the org supported last year. GiveSome allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSome does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSome works with your company and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSome.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. Albert Lee. How you doing, Albert? Mm
1: very good thank you man.
0: thanks for coming on i can't even remember how we got introduced but doesn't matter that's calgary it's one it's one degree of separation closure liability management you play in a space where i'm going to openly you know just put my ignorance on display i know very little about your sector except that i hear it in the news i hear it in conversation it's always there but i don't really know so with that let's bring um my guests and myself into the tent a little bit what is closure liability management what do you guys do what are you all about and let's unpack this topic
1: Uh, Well, Closure Liability Management, uh, it's a company we pulled together amongst uh, several people that I've met through my my work career and my work history. Um, All of us working in the oil and gas industry, Um, but seeing a lot of issues around cleaning up after yourselves and uh, increasing inventories of inactive wells.
0: I really like the cleaning up after yourself. It's like, I, you make me feel like I'm in the kitchen and there's a sign that says your mom doesn't work. You're clean up after yourself. <laughs> Sorry, you <laughs> cut me down a little tangent there.
1: <laughs> no worries. Uh, but but the, historically, there hasn't been a lot of attention paid to it, right? So through our careers, we see, you know, all these wells going inactive and companies not really do anything about them to clean them up. Uh, because typically there just hasn't been a reason to. Um, the governments haven't forced it. Regulators haven't enforced it. Uh, and everybody's worried about making money, right? Um, so we put together this company. Uh, it's it's both a consulting and advisory company, but primarily we're a, a software company. So we you know we we do tip the, the the normal manual labor process of, of of planning and executing and, and and putting these these sites to bed but we're also building software tools to help it ma- or maximize the efficiency of the process so it's trying to build a standard process of how do you evaluate all these sites and putting some intelligence and all this the new buzzwords of ai and machine learning into <laughs> uh, analyzing these sites to one help you understand them and two help you help you understand the cost of them and then uh Build plans to execute
0: more efficiently. Okay. Oh, so many layers. So let, let's start with the top. Let's give let's give our audience a perspective of kind of how big of a of a nut we're trying to crack here when you talk about inactive or abandoned wells in Alberta. So, what are some of the numbers? Let's just kind of get some context here of what we're actually talking about. What's the size and scope of the problem slash opportunity? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, in, in in Alberta, you're you're looking at approximately a hundred thousand inactive wells, okay. and in, inactive meaning. Wells that have stopped making any oil or gas and just kind of sitting there as an inactive entity. Okay. So, is there a period um, of time tied to know, that? Do
0: they have to sit for one year, two years, five years, ten years? Like, it, what, what's what's the timeline from like if a well's inactive? Is there a chance that it, through new technologies I might bring it back online, or once it kind of goes down that path, we move on and it gets kind of left behind?
1: Well, mm-hmm. so actually, that's that's one of the reasons why the inventory has grown so much because because. Um, you know, people are hoarders, generally. They don't want to actually give that well okay. up because, you know, in the future, something might change and I might go back uh, to it. I see, I see. But the stats show that uh, if, a well's, if a well's been inactive for, for five years, there's like a 2% chance of anybody returning to it in the
0: future. Uh, I see. Okay. And you talked about regulatory. So that would be, is that the AER, the Alberta Energy Regulator? Is that who would oversee? For, for Alberta, for yeah. For Alberta, and that's yeah. who would see that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, just, again, just for perspective, if, I, if we if we added BC to the mix or Saskatchewan, is there anybody that's in the lead? Like, is there a province that has more of these, Alberta, because of our history? Or, or is it fairly evenly distributed, just depending on where there's been oil and gas activity?
1: Uh, kind of in order. It's Alberta, Saskatchewan, BC, Manitoba. Oh, okay. And then there's a, a, a lot of old legacy stuff in
0: uh, Ontario and Quebec. Uh, interesting. Okay.
1: But there's not really a lot of active industry out there.
0: Sure. No, no Interesting. Okay. So, definitely thinking about our own backyard and tied to the Alberta Energy Regulator. So, and that hundred, those hundred thousand wells, just roughly speaking, that's spread across our are inactive. I'm assuming there's quite a few that are still tied to active companies, but I know in in the news, especially through the downturn from kind of 2014, 2015 up till now, there's a lot of stories about jurisdictions where companies they just disappeared. They went out of business, they rolled up their their they rolled up the carpet and said, "All right, turned the light, <laughs> unscrewed the light bulbs and said we're out of here." Which left did that amplify the problem? Is that what did that help? Did that did that time or that 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 episode in our in our journey as an oil and gas province? Did that bring this even more to light because of some of that?
1: Absolutely. Okay. like We, we saw a, a decent amount of bankruptcies here, kind of probably starting from 2008 forward, okay. um, when we had the big big uh, crash in 2008. But th- where the press is is starting to cover it is is um, we have an organization in Alberta called the Orphan Well Association. So if companies go bankrupt and there's no legal owner remaining of those sites, it goes into the Orphan Well Association. And that's a government organization. Uh, Government arm, sort of industry-funded government arm that looks after, taking care of, cleaning up those sites. So the inventory in that in the orphan well association, where it's getting all the attention, it's, it's kind of gone from like a, a hundred wells in a decade ago to you know up to three or four thousand now, right? Just just through just for bankruptcies, just through uh, um, just more companies going under. Mm.
0: Just the, just the nature of the economic cycles that we're in and, and then, and the impact that it's had even on our province. Even if you think of the last, the last cycle, which feels like we're out of, but that it lasted much longer than I think everybody intended, but we won't, we won't get down. That's, that's a, that's a much bigger podcast to, to tackle that, that topic. Where, uh, as a taxpayer, where's the money coming from? Is that the oil and gas industry paying into this fund or paying into? Uh, kind of like your 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 slush fund or your op, your your uh like when you buy into a condo building, you want to you want to know what those those that fund's sitting at, so if there's any major events to happen, it can be covered. Is that how that's managed? Today? Yeah, hmm?
1: the the bulk the bulk of the Orphan Well Association's money is industry funded. Okay. Mm-hmm. So every company gets gets uh gets issued a, an invoice a, a levy every year. Based on the amount of inactive sites that they have within their portfolio, so they have to pay into it. But notwithstanding, there has been some government assistance that uh, in, into the fund. But there's been some loans from the uh, the Alberta government. There's been some some money injected to it from the federal government. Okay. But uh, it's but the bulk of the the funding is industry funding.
0: Okay, all right. That, that, which is yeah. what I was talking to my wife this morning, and she was she was talking about. So let's let's just. I'll start today. Say you and I were working with some, we we're going to drill a well today. Are we already planning for this now, the reclamation side of it? or Are we already putting money aside and it's a net new well, there's a new protocol and a new program. And then we'll talk about then, you know, remediation, how we deal with some le- leg- legacy stuff. So are we making better choices today to alleviate this five years from now? <laughs>
1: today on, on june 8th we, we are okay, not
0: <laughs> Al, albert is smirking ear to ear for anyone who can't see the video that i'm seeing right now okay let's, yeah. let's unpack that a little bit uh,
1: yeah there's there's been a lot of discussion uh around um with the with the ucp government um there's been a, a lot of noise around with the election and that kind of put, put on the back burner but there is a, a drive within the ucp to uh, accelerate the rate of of uh, site restoration, site closures, well of and that sort of okay. thing. Um, but you know, there's a lot of ideas being tossed around. Is is it is it a deposit upfront deposit when you drill wells? Is it a drilling fee? Is it this that whatever? Right to to try to fund uh, upfront these these site closures in the event that there's no owner at the end of it. Right. Nice. Uh, or e- even even like you know, there's a thrown around as a deposit. You put down a deposit. Before you drill a well, and that deposit carries through to the life of the the well right to the end, and that that deposit pays for the the site closure at the end. But a lot of ideas being thrown around, and I, and I know they're 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 getting very serious about trying to do a better job at it
0: hmm. if if i'm an organization and, and i've maintained that well and i've run it through its life cycle or my, my immersion of its usable life cycle but then i maintain ownership will then i'm then just held responsible so the real risk is when all of a sudden the company that was tied to that well disappears right yes Which yes that's true that's, abandonment true that's orphan in, in a true sense yeah of
1: and, and and you know in, and with with anything in any part of society
0: there are bad players yeah. right I mean bad everybody doesn't where, have the best intentions, Albert. Are you telling me? What? There's bad <laughs> actors? What? Unfortunately, yes. I think we all know, 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 know that is true.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that 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 doesn't help. Um, yeah. so it, it just kind of amplifies the issue where where you know uh the, the regulator is trying to identify potentially the bad players and prevent them from owning assets, right? But it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough filter to have, right? Because you don't really, really know what's gonna happen.
0: Uh, when you're looking at these deals in front of you. And just for context, you get 100,000 inactive wells in Alberta. How many active wells do we have in Alberta? So you're my my de facto expert because you're on the show. If you don't have that number off the top of your head, that's okay.
1: Uh, I want to say there's like 200,000. Okay. 250,000. I don't... don't don't quote me exactly okay, on that, but it number, gives me so.
0: context. It's not two million, and which which I know yeah. it's not, but two hundred fifty thousand in contrast to a hundred thousand that are inactive. It, that's that's a closer balance than I might have thought. I just I was kind of just getting that context of like to your point, like these wells become inactive wells. It's just part of the the, the nature of as the yeah. depletion of the reserve and and is like is there a typical? I guess it's going to change by formation. Uh, how long a well will typically be serviceable or, or typically be able to return, return value. And I know that there's a million variables contributing to that, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think if you, in, in these days, if you have a well that's produced for 10 or 15 years, it's, that's it's had a pretty good productive life. Okay. Of, uh, Cause it's, it's going to pay it out. So it'll be economic. But uh, a, a lot of the, the drilling these days is for resource plays and resource plays mean uh, long life, low decline big reserves right so uh, i'm sure like a lot of these shale producers are hoping these wells last 30 years Mm, okay Okay. but you know a, a lot of the the history on those the new the new developments are it's pretty early so we don't exactly know what the ultimate uh, reserve life on those ones I are. I like what
0: you said about, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to hoard it because I don't know what new technology might come online or a big spike in price that all of a sudden makes a well that's maybe not profitable at X dollars per barrel or, 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 or gas or whatever it is. That might change down the road. And we, yeah, we're all hoarders. I think I really like that. I really yeah. Like yeah. The- well, you
1: don't want to throw away something real that might be valuable
0: in 20 yeah, years. Yeah Yes. <laughs> I think many people's garages and clauses would, would justify that, that, that story. Do you work with those, So thinking about now, what your guys are, what you're building and your team is building as an organization to help manage this and software. Do you get involved in even the side of when you're working with some of the reserve companies that are saying, "Well, this is what we think your reserve is worth," or this is where it's come down, whether it's CMG, CMG or McDaniel or some of the companies I just know around town. Is that a factor of where you kind of almost dovetail in of like, "Well, we're trying to, we know this thing. You just drilled it. It's great. It's producing, but we immediately know it's starting to decline, so we can start planning for this exit." Where does what? Uh, closure li- liability management kind of come in. Are you that early, or do you guys get more involved w- way down the road?
1: Mm. Yeah, that uh, the the liability portion portion of call it reserves reports um, don't don't get a lot of attention because generally, you know, with the nature of reserve reports is is they they push everything into the future and then they then they net present value back uh, at a certain interest rate. So when you push it twenty years into the future, it's worthless
0: today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Right. You've, depreci- yeah, so you've depreciated li- it to zero, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so the li- the liabilities um, aren't necessarily paid a lot of attention to. Like, there's there's regulations uh, uh, regulations regarding uh, regulating like reserves numbers, okay. and there's a there's a whole document uh, that regulates that. Um, they tried to inst- instill uh, a portion for liabilities here recently, and
0: that didn't get approved, right? And so, so did by reserves... didn't get approved at the government level, at the AER level? Like, who didn't approve that?
1: It's it's kind of an, an industry committee. Okay. Right? okay. So
0: yeah. So the industry is is there enough consultation between what's happening, or where the government's pushing mandates, or the AER is driving regulatory, and maybe wielding the carrot and the stick? Maybe more the stick. How balanced is that between you know, or how, how adversarial is that, or isn't that? <laughs>
1: I, I think the general, the general feeling amongst the industry is that uh, we, we do need to do a better job. So, the, the AER putting uh, greater regulations around it, uh, people, it's, it's a fact of life. They see it's coming, uh, they can't really resist it. Um, so, it's, it's, it's coming. It's just how big of a bite does the, the AER take year over year in, in increasing
0: the obligations and requirements? a fine line between this is just the cost of operating versus feeling like a tax right and nobody wants another tax
1: <laughs> no it's uh tax is a is a, is a very dirty it word is. Yes, it but, is it uh, is I felt it's, dirty it's, saying
0: it
1: <laughs> yeah but uh, you know I don't know what everybody else's opinion and for me it's just part of the uh, personal accountability right corporate accountability so it's not really a tax is if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna do do the damage or do or I don't want to say damage. If you're going to impact the land. Yeah, that's, I like, that's need, a nice way to say it. Like, Cause it
0: is, it, there yeah. is an impact. You can't, you can't deny that damage implies negativity. It's only negative if you don't tend to it properly as part of the full cycle of, of, of the, I love the impact comment. I'm assuming again, you can't, you can't throw a stick with it. You mentioned AI and ML that's sitting right beside ESG on the list of acronyms that everyone has bolted into everything today. I'm assuming, uh, Uh, only can believe that this is a huge part of like so many more companies are doing their ESG reporting and that they're getting out in front of trying to get out in front of their shareholders with here's what we're doing. I can only see this as being a huge, like that's at least a couple pages in your ESG report of what you're doing with your orphan inactive or potentially soon to be abandoned wells. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. And the oil, the oil and gas industry is actually very, very slow to adopt, right? Um, uh, Canadians, actually specifically, <laughs> I hear the Americans actually have a bit of a different attitude, okay. but uh, slow to adopt uh, new technologies and that sort of thing. So when you talk about AI and ML, um, it's it's kind of really just emerging in the oil and gas industry and emerging even slower on end of life stuff, because really, nobody's really that excited about talking about Retiring assets, right?
0: Because that's on the so, that's on the cost side of the P and L, right? That's not on the profit side of the P and L. We're we're looking for new revenue generating opportunities. These are these are the costs that we wish we didn't have to spend. And I'm again, I'm oversimplifying the statement, but we all know in any kind of business, you want to be on the profit side of the P and L, not the other side.
1: Uh, absolutely. And uh, being the oil patch garbage man is not
0: sexy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> trying to help everybody clean up their garbage. Yeah, well said. Yeah. yeah, we don't even want to think about it or know about it. You made you made a comment about <laughs> South of the. Border. Border. talk to me a little are you guys uh, only based uh, in Canada uh, we are
1: based in Canada right now um, we have had a couple of exploratory conversations with the United States um, the United States is actually a little bit behind Canada okay. in um, not so much acknowledging the problem but putting in uh, regulation change to inf- enforce uh, action right so Canada's actually been uh, pretty ahead of the game here uh, British Columbia uh, started at first they put deadlines in about, uh, closing sites. So time deadlines, uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan put in, um, spend minimum spend obligations. Okay. So annually they have to spend a certain amount of money. Uh, there's certain States obviously are, are a little bit further ahead. Uh, California's ahead, uh, North Dakota's ahead. Uh, you get to some of the, the legacy States down there, Texas, Louisiana, they're, you know, they're still, they see a problem, uh, it hasn't really uh, affected any regulation change yet but uh Biden's infrastructure uh, act actually uh set aside about 4.7 billion dollars in that act for to a lot to to states to help them try to characterize the size of their problem so it's not even actually
0: mm. pre- still still doing the, the analysis for a portion
1: <laughs> yeah
0: uh, i'm going to safe to say that it's a large that the problem is large <laughs> and this scot- yeah. when
1: is when so you great. said uh, Yeah. When you said uh, Alberta's problems, only, you know, hundreds of thousands of wells, like when the United States, you're looking at five times the market, right? There's, there's 4 million wells in the
0: States. Just everything, you're like a minimum times it by 10, sometimes times it by a hundred when you're dealing with a sales at the corner. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned a little bit, and I've run into this in a a few conversations I've had just recently about the inconsistency with regulatory environments and how challenging that is to get one song sheet, to get one set of metrics that we need to report against. You even just mentioned BC. They did timeline and then Alberta went with um, money. And how does that, because you've got lots of producers, especially now that there's maybe... Less, less, even less in the smaller producer. Where you've got companies that are in different jurisdictions. They're in BC, they're in Saskatchewan, they're in Alberta. Uh, does that just add to the to the noise around? Ugh! What? Which? What are we actually supposed to follow here?
1: <laughs> you know, regulations are a fact of life. Like in 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 British Columbia, there's 20 different regulations you have to follow, and then in Alberta, there's 20 other regulations you have to follow, and they're all province-specific. So, you know, that's why companies have uh, either entire regulatory groups or uh, companies basically third-party the regulatory expertise out to potentially companies like ourselves that are very familiar with this part of the regulatory process, right? So they don't have to manage British Columbia, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. But you know, it's, it's just the fact of life of, of working in an oil and gas companies. You gotta you gotta know the rules of the area you're working yeah, in.
0: Yeah, I appreciate what we have, what's the home turf and what what's going on. Does is this one of those areas? Are you seeing companies bringing this in house more? So as it becomes more, it feels like everything and it's already a very complex industry, the energy sector. But the level of expertise required and the nuance from just like literally a mile this way or a mile that way based on which side of the border you're on and which province. Are you seeing companies bring this in-house for larger companies, but with smaller companies, it's just a burden that they, they outsource. Always looking at the opportunity for specialists like yourselves and and companies go through cycles of in-housing things and outsourcing things. And I think it just also depends on the economic cycle they're in as well.
1: (laughs) You're, you're, you're exactly right. Actually the, the larger companies um, will generally have their own internal uh, resources um, notwithstanding there there's always a little bit of third-party expertise that uh, that they bring in as needed um, but you know for cl- closures closures primary objective is to try to maximize the efficiency of the process okay. right so even these even these big companies we feel that even though they have their own internal groups and their own internal processes could benefit from some of the the, the data analytics and and some of the uh, the automation that uh, that our our tools that we're building will provide
0: Let's yeah let's touch on that i think i I, I love what you went where, where you went there like there's the the old days of a bunch of consultants that show up with their briefcase, but the difference now is you're showing up with tools that you've built that are purpose built that oftentimes large organizations want to get access to, but they're not going to build them internally because that's not their core business. As as an organization, has that been a decision or a direction you've taken at Closure to say, no, no, we're going to build the tools, so we're not just a bunch of smart guys and gals doing the thing. That we actually have a whole infrastructure that'll actually that a company maybe once they've tried it can't live without. And in, 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 in the world of creating sticky sticky products,
1: <laughs> that's right. Uh, actually, you know, we started this company. It was it was more heavily weighted on the consulting and advisory business than it was on the software okay. business. We knew we knew we needed to build tools to help scale up the worker capacity, right? Because you can't just keep throwing manpower at things. Uh, You need to start uh, building the tools to Take away a bunch of the, call it the, the more menial and manual
0: processes. The, the, the repetitive, um, very linear work that technology does incredibly well.
1: <laughs> that's right. It's, it's just like uh, one of the, the first things we did is like, how do we aggregate data more quickly? Right. Because you need to pull in data from all these different sources and, and then present it in a way. So you, you want, know I have a really good snapshot understanding of this well in a very, very short amount of time. So that could save you anywhere from, you know, an hour to several hours per site that you're yeah. evaluating. Right. Um, Generally speaking, even like uh, we run to a lot of companies that say we have a group, we have our processes, we got it handled. But, you know, you dig it a little deeper and somebody says, well, actually, you know, it's one giant spreadsheet. (laughs)
0: your biggest competitors excel i've had this conversation many 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 times and back to uh an industry that sometimes is not necessarily quick to adapt new ways of doing things and sometimes they are i I don't want to blanket that 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 brush but i have different versions of this very same conversation with other companies in town that are working working to support and service the energy sector with maybe a new and a new and quote-unquote better way of doing things so for for you as an organization how's that and this is getting into like the business of closure and what you've built how has been that balance of maintaining revenue, maintaining, uh, the, the, the consulting side while also then cleaving off budget or getting funding because software doesn't build itself. Technology is time consuming and is costly as hell. Some might say, some might say a black hole of cost, if you're not careful.
1: (laughs) Well, it's, it's a grind and actually, uh, timing wise, we actually, we, we launched right before COVID hit.
0: Of course. You know what? That's, and and you're still here. So to me, that's all, there's something going on there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so you know there was there was a dead spot dead spot there for about probably six eight months, uh, and but yeah you, you you regroup you rethink yourself and and you move forward. So yeah, our, our consulting and advisory uh, the revenue stream from that definitely gets plowed back into the technology development. Right. But we've been we've been very fortunate. We've been able to leverage a lot of these uh, uh, programs, uh, government funding okay, programs, good. Nice. with non diluted capital for basically it's it's you know the the government organizations are promoting. Building technology, building—we're—we're—we're we're, we're classified in an area called clean tech, yep. right? So we're building technology to, to, basically help build a, a cleaner industry and, and better for the environment. Right?
0: As a um, as a category, that's not a, that's not a bad category to be in right now because it's looked upon very favorably, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, I'm I'm a fan of that. I do believe sometimes our industry has a bit of a an image problem that we haven't done a lot to rectify over the years and, uh, you know, having a lot of friends in other parts of Canada, we often don't tell the clean, the the clean side of what our industry actually does. Well, very well at all, (laughs) I would say.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) uh, the industry generally hasn't been very promotional because, Mm -hmm. uh, historically everybody needs, hydrocarbons right so they don't have to promote it but uh, now I, I think we the, the industry needs to do a better job of telling our story telling our
0: own story and the good things that we you know, do when you talk to people that work in the industry that they get fired up really quickly about, well, no, let me tell you about all the things that we're doing. My wife very specifically 20 years in a senior technologist role, with the team. So she's right in all of the from reporting to measurement to the ESG report to working with the regulator and the AR on a regular basis. So tell her we're not doing anything for the environment and she will, she will lay out all the things that she works on on a weekly basis, <laughs> which again, yeah, uh, yeah, as a marketer, you've got to tell that story. You don't expect people to just know it right. And then, and uh, the world of hydrocarbons and as we're shifting and, Sometimes there's some really bad PR out there that I don't think really tells yeah, the whole story at all, but it makes for good headlines, right? Mm-hmm. The, the industry
1: is behind a wall, right? It's uh, it, people don't understand. A, a lot of people don't understand what the origins of uh, where where the fuel comes from out of the gas station, right? It's the same as uh, you know getting strawberries in the winter, right? <laughs> That's not coming from your local no, farmer. No it's,
0: no, it's not. No, it's yeah. <laughs> but, but I want what I want, Albert. I want them. I want, I want fresh strawberries <laughs> and fresh oranges in the middle of February. Uh, a hundred percent. So from a growth perspective, you got through COVID, uh, how big is your team? Let's give me a little context of size. Uh,
1: we're about, uh, 10 people, nice. um, uh, in between, you know, there's, there's a couple of part-timers, uh, but, uh, generally speaking, we have 10 employees, um, uh, working remote working in the office a little mix of both nice
0: how um how's been talent acquisition for you with obviously you've got industry experts that really understand the space but then you've got this whole other need of technology experts that can you know the the, i'm expert in the tech i'm expert in the subject matter let's get together and build and build and build a solution what's been the balance for you in terms of finding resources getting access to talent on those two pillars
1: uh, it actually hasn't been too okay. bad. um we we were we've been actually extremely fortunate for the to find the people that we've found. Nice. Um, I mean we we're you know we've we we have a data scientist on staff. we have a full stack developer on staff um, the 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 individual that leads our our software development actually uh, he's got a foot in both worlds uh, because he was actually worked as an engineer for me when we both worked at a producing oil company. Okay. But through his career, he's kind of evolved into a a, a data analytics and, and a computer programming expert. So he's he's got a foot in both worlds. So he understands the world that we're trying to address and he understands trying to build the, the tools to address that.
0: That's huge because I've, I've run into, there's a lot of technology running around trying to find a problem to solve. And there's a lot of subject matter experts that are like, ah, I just don't know. Or I'm kind of fearful because uh, I have no experience in that world of developing technology creating that balance is what I see often where startups or, or your young companies they tend to be overweighted in one or the other, and each can be problematic and, and successful at the, at the same time mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's tough to to communicate the the concepts uh, to a, a programmer yeah. right? because they have they would have no idea what we're what we do, but we're trying to communicate how how we want them to build something and the communication and the message doesn't always
0: get across clear No, oh, and you're often struggling to articulate what's nuanced in your mind where like i just i know what i want but i'm not a developer either so i don't know how to speak that language and that can and then that that, that can spin things around the cycle quite quite a few times which can be challenging uh, do you see your growth being more and this is a very conceptual question <laughs> this is where you break out your crystal ball Howard. let me see to the future Obviously, regulatory and what gets enforced is going to have a huge driver into your ability to be a required, an essential service versus companies going, no, no, we know this is the right thing to do. We know we need to clean up. I'm going to circle all the way back to what you said at the beginning. We're taking cleaning up after ourselves a lot more seriously because our shareholders are demanding it. One, we think it's the right thing to do. Two, we're having trouble getting investment capital if we can't prove that we're actually cleaning up after ourselves. When you look at your business going forward, is it a balance of those two things, or one might drive it faster or harder than the other?
1: Uh, it is both. I, we're hoping our, our our software tools stand on their own, okay. right? Uh, because you know, once once you know, we're, we're once we get them into the users', user's hands and and they realize wow, this actually made a, 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 a task or a process that I really wasn't looking forward to a lot easier, right? And so my, my time is not uh, being just eaten up by doing something that I don't really want to do. <laughs> so this is so easy for me that uh, it, it's it's take away a lot of the pain of the, of the process. So
0: I, I appreciate that. Are you seeing also a, a drive with, I'm here, I'm just, there's things I'm hearing from other CEOs. They're hiring uh, new younger team members. Uh, they could be very skilled, but just haven't been in the industry for 30 years, whatever the industry is. And they're going, oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to use spreadsheets. I didn't get hired to do that. I get, where's the tools? Where's the automation? Where's the technology? I'm, I'm also seeing there's a lot of push and pull happening at uh, companies because, this is the way we've always done and it. it's not always acceptable to uh, maybe a new younger more tech savvy individual
1: <laughs> yeah and uh, you know c- coming from kind of the the, the generation where you know I, I first started using the computer actually in university and it di- I didn't grow up with yep. them Uh <laughs> you know, there's, there's limitations to, to my tech savviness as well. Right. But we're trying to build our tool that it's, you know, familiar enough navigation and environment that it's, you know, even old guys
0: can, can figure out how to use it. <laughs> well, the argument would be, um, and has always been the joke, you know, if you, if you give it to your grandmother or grandfather, could they figure it out? Like good UX, good UI should be relatively, and there are some best practices of like, the button should always be there because that's where it is. And we've all been trained every day by these apps on our phone on how to do things really easily. And I was talking to someone the other day in the trucking industry and they said, you know, we've got drivers and operators that are at home on Amazon or surfing or booking their vacation. We've got customers that are interacting with companies that are technology savvy, then they interact with the trucking industry and we haven't changed in 80 years. (laughs) And he goes, it's a really challenge. Like we're getting beat up pretty hard because our industry doesn't want to change. But any of everyone involved has been so now used to, quote unquote, how easy it can be when technology actually does remove the friction, right?
1: yeah well the trucking industry is still using uh carbon copy tickets right so. him and
0: i made that joke i was like please fill that out in triplicate and push hard enough that it goes through to the third there's people listening right now that don't even know what we're talking about what we're talking about yeah. what do you mean there's a three levels of paper and you have to write hard so the other two show up that way and then you want me to fax it what
1: oh man the, so uh <laughs> i i still remember the the exact day of my career where um i'm trying to learn a new software product and i and I was I was so challenged and I couldn't do it. And it the, the the realization came to my mind. I'm like, it finally happened. I'm too old to learn new <laughs> oh, stuff. That's
0: a rough day, Albert. That's a rough day. <laughs> yeah. Now you're building arguably a technology company because if you you know you've picked a sector that there's a problem to be solved, but you're clearly using technology. So I guess you could always teach an old dog a few new a few new tricks, Albert. <laughs> People, the young, our younger audience right now is rolling their eyes. Two old guys talking about being old. <laughs> I don't know. The day you stop being curious and like, yeah, it might not be easy, but you better, you better get excited about what's coming because it's coming anyways. And if you want to, if you want to be involved in the game, so when you look out across the future of, you know, even your roadmap as an organization, but thinking about these hundred thousand inactive wells that some of them, like you said, like you said, five years, there's less than two percent chance I think that they'll actually be brought back back online. Is there a day where? we're just going to have no choice, but once that well is truly inactive, or maybe the word is, orf- uh, I guess orphan means it's truly abandoned that we rectify that problem that we look across our province in the, for the next five to 10 years. And that number actually starts to consistently come down. Is, is that a safe thing or am I like dreaming in technicolor over here?
1: Uh, the, the number actually has come down in the last two okay. years and, uh, it was, it was, uh, a drive, you know, it was a COVID initiative from the federal government. So they, they did bring in, um, a program in late 2020, basically that brought in about a billion dollars into Alberta uh, for companies to to perform only uh, closure activities, so well abandements, pipeline abandonments, facilities decommissioning, reclamation, uh, remediation on on surface surface leases and that sort of thing. So that actually brought the number down for the first time in years, okay. nice. right? So the, the the AER is really trying to maintain that momentum, hence the 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 institution of the mandatory spend and. They've communicated to industry that we're we're going to be ramping up that number every year. So this year it's seven hundred million dollars. Next year it's seven hundred and seventy million dollars. The year after that it's up another ten percent. Try to get back up to that. Call it billion dollars a year, where we, they actually started to see a decrease in the inventory of inactive wells.
0: Okay, that, that that's always a it's always a good question when you hear a number. Like, is that number growing or is that number contracting or is it or is it stable? I'm I'm assuming also <coughs> having some fresh money floating around. Has brought some new players. You know, you're 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 tackling one portion of it. I'm assuming there's a lot of other businesses that have popped up to fill this need, but also take advantage of this opportunity to do the work, right? Because th- these wells don't reclaim themselves. You have to go out there and physically do it, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: there there is a niche a niche part of the industry now where there is like specialty companies, just like closure. There's there's a handful of, of they, they focus only on end of life, okay. right? So it's it's happening, um, and you know we we try not to view. Uh, Call it other companies in the business as competitors because really it's not really a competitive advantage to do something more cheaply because everything needs to get done, right? So uh, trying to build a little bit more of a community around that and knowledge sharing on best practices and how, how did you guys do this? You guys did it very efficiently, and very cheaply. Um, that 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 will that will evolve and mature as the industry gets more players in the in the in the environment. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we all know who each other are. There's about four or five, six companies focused exclusively on End of Lifestyle.
0: And I'm assuming there's a huge amount of variety, whether something was in northern Alberta or central or what formation it was in, how it was drilled, how it was completed. Like, I'm imagining there's as much variety inside that hundred thousand as you can throw a stick at, too. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and, and that's uh, one of the one of the keys that um, what our software software is supposed to target, right? It's it's not a, a, a typical well that you can blanket and say this is what it's like across all, yeah, all of Alberta. Yeah. You have you have stuff in southern Alberta that's you know gas wells that are drilled five hundred meters deep, and then you have wells drilled in northern Alberta that are oil wells drilled three thousand meters deep. Right, So there's a really, really large range of, of scenarios and complexities uh, associated with each of these wells.
0: So part of your software is to be able to, because all, but all that data is logged, true. But back to your, yeah, how do you collect it in? It's not like you have to go out and guess what it is. Everything has been logged and that, that well has a history tied to it, right? That's documented. And, That's right. But how do yeah. you pull yeah. all that data in efficiently to go, okay, here's our strategy here, this is cost, and start to really get a clearer what is my liability and who should I be brought into because they're experts in a 5,000 meter well versus a 500 meter well. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, Albert, I'm getting, I don't know if I'm getting smarter, but I'm getting better informed. Let's well, just smart, <laughs> Smarter is a bold statement, better informed. Well, okay. I'll, I'll take that one. It's not yeah, how, and put my business, my business guy hat on. Is, is it a tight-knit industry? Are you out there heavily marketing and running Lunch and Learns and doing webinars? Or is it more everybody kind of... Because I know everybody kind of knows everybody, and that's an oversimplification. How's been business growth for you? Has it been organic? Or has it been a, a bit of a pushing a boulder uphill of trying to get this message out and let people even know you exist? Because no one can buy from you if they don't know you, right? Step one. Step one in yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, um, like I said, we, we come from an industry that doesn't, doesn't really self-promote. So we we've been trying to change and trying to get better at that. Um, so I mean, you know, we, we're we're just in the midst of actually hiring a a specific marketing person. Okay, right on. Uh, you know, to build this social media following and and you know, uh, walking the streets and handshakes works to a certain extent but it doesn't work to get your message out to to all these people that have never heard of you yeah. before, right? So there's only so many handshakes you can make in a day.
0: Yeah, you can only do lap the plus 15 so many times. Yeah, totally. No, fair enough. And I appreciate that. And it's certainly an area of, of, of focus for us. We work a lot with B2B Companies and over the years, we haven't done a lot of work in the energy sector because there just wasn't a need. They're like, well, you know, don't try to sell it to don't try to sell a thing to somebody who doesn't value the thing, right? (laughs) Second rule, second rule of Tyler's rule of business. But I've seen a big shift as. The buyers change. There's younger. There's more younger individuals that are online now. They're doing. They're searching digitally. They're not just looking to run into in the plus fifteen. They're sitting at their computers. They're on their. They're on their devices looking for information. So I've seen definitely a lot of shifts, especially in the service side of the energy sector, with more value on marketing, or maybe just to, not to even use the word marketing, more value on getting your story out there deliberately. Mm.
1: Well, e- even like uh, as a, a as a startup, everybody in the company has to be a bit of a salesman. Right, and uh, it, it's it's interesting the 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 type of communication that works today versus what used to work, right? Uh, uh, it, a, lot, a lot of it it's it's funny. People a lot of people ignore emails, right? That that's not right in front of their face, but if you text messages them now. Uh, they'll you'll get a response, and and that is something that's you know typically in the past that's unheard of, right? That that wasn't a line of communication, that was a very informal line of communication, and and now people are responding to that much better than the the typical formal ways.
0: It's it, it, it's so true, and you've got to. It's almost like you've got to personalize the communication strategy. I have some individuals they just like to communicate with me on LinkedIn. It's so random. I'm like, why has that become our default way of communicating? And I don't check it on the regular. Like I maybe do my email or my, and I've got you know you got LinkedIn and then you've got what's I've got a whole other group that's on WhatsApp. And it actually I I grew up my first career I was a pilot and they teach you how to do a dashboard scan. I kind of feel that way sometimes as I scan my Slack, my Asana, my Gmail, then I scan my LinkedIn, then I check my phone. Meanwhile, it feels like you're just going through this cycle. Very is going to, anyways, I, you're right. It is, it's becoming this, uh, uh, you know, and I love it because we all want to be communicated in the way that we want. And as a, and as That's a right. vendor as, or as a salesperson or as somebody promoting, it's not for me to tell you how to communicate with me. I'm going to communicate with you the way you want.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same. You have to profile everybody that you talk to, right? It's, it's, uh, it's no different than, you know, this is this guy likes to go here for lunch and he likes to eat this and that sort of thing. It's it's just, just understanding your audience.
0: Yes. And take, and taking the time to do that and and value the fact that they might not see things the same way you do. (laughs) Um, Albert, what's the best way for obviously closure liability. I got your, I got your website pulled up here. I'm assuming that's a great source. Uh, ClosureLM.com. Good job on short on shortening that getting a URL that you could actually get. <laughs> getting URLs is the worst these days. I'm sure you guys went through that. I'm oh, sure you yeah. guys went through that. And um what about yourself? Do you <laughs> playing off of our, our line here? Do you have a preferred way? Is it email? Is it text? Is it smoke signals? What do you what do you like? <laughs> uh
1: for me actually email is probably the easiest. Okay. Uh I'm I'm one of those guys that screens phone calls.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't come up in my address book, I'm probably not answering you on my phone. Like that's a, that's very Yeah. Much. Cause I don't need to be told I so, won yeah. another trip or the CRA is after me or some, I got one the other day that was the, uh, somehow the customs and border protection wanted me for something like uh, d- who falls for these things. They're so annoying. They're just like <laughs> daily now. It seems like, and they're smart. Cause then they put, they give you a 403 number. So you think it might be somebody local and it's not, it is absolutely not. It's, it's a no, computer it's somewhere not. from other side, other side of the world. Do you want to throw your email out? Or do you want us to put it on the post?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, Albert at closure oh, nice. Easy. So, uh, yeah, pretty easy.
0: Albert, I really appreciate one, the work you guys are doing in a space that, you know, I do everything I can to promote a positive Alberta story. And I have a lot of friends back East and I love when they bring up stuff like this. Well, what about this? I'm like, well, let me tell you what we're actually doing here. Cause I am a big advocate of, uh, there's a lot of really good things going on in our energy sector. And Hopefully, we'll slowly get better and better at telling the rest of, at least our own country, what we're doing over here in, in a positive way.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if any of your, your your friends out east have any questions yet, feel free to shoot them I my will, way.
0: I will do that with next time. They might be a couple glasses of wine in because that's usually when it starts to get a bit fiery. <laughs> Quebecers love <laughs> to have a couple glasses of wine and then tell you what they know about your province. But anyways, let's not let's not dig, let's not digress too far. Uh, Albert, I really appreciate the dialogue today, and uh thanks for uh, thanks for informing me on an area that uh, definitely was a little bit of a black box for me of kind of what's going on. I have a I have a lot more um, clarity around thought of what we're actually dealing with, and that things are indeed moving in a positive direction.
1: Great, Tyler. I appreciate you putting the time in and, and uh, letting me on your show. It was a,
0: it was a pleasure. I have a, I have a feeling we might be. We'll, we'll chat again when, it, when that number gets down to seventy-five thousand.
1: <laughs> Alrighty. Thanks, Albert. <laughs> Thank you.